Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When I was two years old, when I was dedicated to the cause of Lucifer, I was at that point a generation witch. I was laying there, practically, and I had her hold me as if I was me. I couldn't talk. I couldn't open my eyes. I, I believe my eyes were right back in my head. There was evidence of human sacrifice on this fight. One of my first questions I asked was, God, is there evidence? to conspire normal guys we are here in the frozen tundra that was once nashville tennessee <laughs> over here in the uh bighorn studio yet again it's me your host adam sane and he co doesn't like his last name but he said on, on the <laughs> oh, oh but i do it's luke skyrider <laughs> <laughs> and the uh and also uh, samurai rob over here on the on the on the board he's, <laughs> he's wearing a kimono and we got sitting in, Alyssa. Say hello, Alyssa. Hello. <laughs> She's gonna sit in with us tonight because she likes the topic. Well, it's been a eventful couple of weeks. Before I get into that, though, uh, do you guys enjoy the snow? And it was fun, dude. It's fun every year. I went snowboarding. Oh, you went snowboarding? Yeah. We got enough snow to do that this time for sure. Yeah. And uh, we got like what, what? What did we get like? About a foot, almost, of snow? Eight inches or so, yeah. Well, here yeah. here we got six to eight inches, and then up, like, north north of Nashville, they got, like, 12. 
Yeah, I mean that's that's a lot for us, really. But when you think about like what's going on, like right now as we're recording this, like New York and uh, like Washington D.C., I think they got like three feet or something <laughs> like that, man. I mean, like I've seen pictures on the internet of cars just kind of like buried, buried <laughs> in snow, and uh, as it like that system, they called it uh, what was it Jonas or something yeah. Winter Storm Jonas. Yeah. Uh, it makes me think of the Weezer song. My name is Jonas. <laughs> me too. It, as it moved further east, it like picked up steam and just just pummeled the west, the east coast. So, although we have our guest on tonight, and he's in New York, but he's upstate New York. I don't think he got anything. Really? So it's weird. I think just like hugged the coast. <laughs> so, you enjoy the snow, Mister Rob? Yeah. Um, you guys grew up here. Did Did you guys have sleds when you were kids? Yeah, I had a sled. Totally. See, that, that blows my mind. Like, I would never think to buy a sled here. But I, I go on Facebook and I see all these friends of mine that have kids and they're all out like, like, yay, we get to use the sleds that we bought six years ago. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, I had a sled, but I don't even remember where it came from. You know, it's like, I think we just had it or it was like a hand-me-down or something my dad had. Huh. And I remember I remember sledding some when I was a little kid, but not not like too much, obviously. You know, since you don't get a lot of snow in this area. Yeah, I've got a an old '80s snow thrasher. If anyone <laughs> anyone listening knows what that is, it's awesome. Snow thrasher, snow thrasher. <laughs> it's it's neon green and it has metal rails in the bottom. Nice. Well, like I said, it's been an eventful two weeks. Started off uh, the day after we recorded the last show uh, to find out that a uh, certain icon died, passed away. Someone that uh, set a lot of trends and. For the hipster community and hipster style, and that would be uh, Grizzly Adams passed away. Aww. You Aww. know, something that looks kind of kind of looks like Luke a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought I was rather like clean trimmed right now, dude. <laughs> yeah, I think that joke kind of fell fell flat. It actually was going to talk about David Bowie, so uh, going to talk a little bit about, about Bowie in the outro, but. What I wanted to kind of get into now was also something that uh, was kind of on the internet like a couple of weeks ago. So we're like woefully behind the times. Uh, so I want to play a clip, Mr. Rob. The This is something that everyone, well, some people may remember from the 2008 campaign that caused a little bit of a stir. We're going to spread happiness. We're going to spread freedom. Obama's gonna change it, Obama's gonna lead them. We're gonna change it and rearrange it. We're gonna change the world. stop okay yes. <laughs> so that was from the 2008 well during the 2008 campaign it wasn't something that was put together by the obama campaign far from it it was some private group in i believe san francisco Obviously. which 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 makes sense right i've seen better yeah. talent, I don't know talent. <laughs> but this was apparently used to say that obama had this cult of personality and that everybody was saying that obama was the messiah and obama was going to save everybody uh 
But in the last week or so, another candidate has come out with another song. And Rob, if you would be so kind as to play that one. <laughs> I think, like, you know what I'm talking about? Only because you, you have this? to. Okay. <laughs> Alyssa's, I think, heard it as well. We're going to play this one in its entirety, okay? All right. <laughs> Cowardice. Are you serious? Apologies for freedom. I can't handle this. I can't handle it either. When freedom brings answer the call. On your feet, stand up tall. Freedom's on our shoulders. USA. Enemies of freedom. Face the music. Come on, boys. Take them down. <laughs> President Donald Trump knows how to make America great. Deal from strength or get crushed every time. Over here. USA. Over there. better not be another verse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet there is. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> I lied. We're not playing in its entirety. Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, if I could get a more adult version of that song, I'd listen to it. <laughs> I had to take my headphones off. <laughs> well, it's interesting. Okay, as, as silly and it's and it's just annoying as that is there was uh, quite a bit i think on liberal media mainstream or what do you everyone just call it mainstream media about this song by the freedom girls at this trump rally i believe it was pensacola florida <laughs> okay like i said this was within the last two weeks and uh, this thing went viral on the internet and just because it's it's three girls in red, white, and blue cheerleader outfits, dance doing this dance. I don't know whether they're lip syncing or or what it is. Well, that wasn't live. Do they have the that. move where they like yeah. salute? You know? Yeah, like, yeah. They were. The, yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. Donald Trump. What, what does an American salute look like? <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess you would just do the salute. You know, like the oh, salute on your forehead. Okay, never mind. Yeah, I uh, they had like a special. Trump one. <laughs> yeah, well, it's extend your... I think it looks just like the German <laughs> salute. You know, what's funny is uh, that in in schools before the 1940s, before, uh, obviously, before we, we fought Hitler and the Nazis, uh, kids would praise allegiance to the flag in, in school with their hands outstretched in that way. And afterwards, it became the, the hand on over the heart, because obviously you don't want to confuse that right. with, with Nazism, right? But that was the idea. You held your hand out to, towards the flag, and there's 
pictures of Boy Scouts doing that and such. From uh, the, I've seen that before. Yeah, from yeah. the early 1900s. And, you know, the, I mean, you know, the Hitler Youth was actually modeled off the Boy Scouts. That's kind of a, that's kind of a digression. Um, I find it interesting that you have this song and no one kind of like in the, in kind of like the conservative media will look at that and say, wait a minute, that's the same thing really as the Obama song. Yeah. It's basically the same. Yeah. Just better production value. Yeah. <laughs> yeah which one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, it, it's just, it, you, you see that kind of like, I, I guess for the lack of a better word, the hypocrisy really of just like people were saying that people were up in arms about that Obama song in 2008. <laughs> They're just like, this is a cult of personality. This is just like North Korea. You know, this is just like what, what goes, this is like Mao and China with the kids praising which, him, which I agree with, but it's still yeah. the case today. <laughs> it's still the same thing for Donald, for this Donald Trump stuff. Right. It's still, and, and people were making that comparison with this saying that this looked like North Korea, and apparently there's like a scene at the beginning of the movie, the interview, which I haven't seen where you, you, like people were comparing it to that. <laughs> yeah. So, that's funny. You know, I just, I just find it interesting that you've got that, uh, you've got that dichotomy there. Right. With, but is it something that was sanctioned by the candidates or is that something that, Oh, just it was like, sanctioned by the candidate. Yeah. Is I mean, it just like something that like a school or something took upon I, you know, themselves that, I'm, to I'm do? Not, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure, but I mean, if it's something it, that someone I mean, he, just took was, upon themselves, then. Well, I mean, in the in the in the case of the Obama kids, those kids singing the little choir about Obama, that was something I don't think was was at a rally or at a campaign rally. That was just something that some group right. that was liberal minded or or really liked Obama put together. You know, right. and that had nothing to do with an Obama rally that wasn't sung at the rally. Right, but the Donald thing, Trump one did. The Donald Trump one was sung at the rally. Yeah, like, see, literally, yeah. In, if you watch the video, they're dancing. You see the people behind them. They're dancing, and there's the podium with the Trump sign on it. And literally, Trump is about to speak. And then the, after yeah, these see, girls that's different to come me. on. Yeah. To me, that's different, you know, because these – the people for Obama – the kids for Obama and all that stuff, they – they did that on their own. Like no one said, "Hey, you should do this because yeah. people think kids are cute and we'll get more votes." You know, that was just something someone did because they supported him. That the Donald Trump one though, that's kind of messed up. Like that. Well, I like, think I think they're essentially. Come up with your own ideas, I think they're man. essentially the same in message. Right. They're essentially the same in message, whether it's it's endorsed by the candidate or not. You know, and, and so. It, if you're going to be consistent, if you're going to say, hey, I, I don't like the Obama thing. I don't like that, that we're praising a leader in a country where we don't have a monarch, where we don't have the great leader, okay? Then be consistent about this, too, as a conservative, Republican, whatever, and say, I don't like that either because that's not, you know, that, that's also the same thing where extolling the great leader or the great savior of this country. Right. So like you didn't support, support Obama before and you thought he was, you know, like it was being used as a ploy, but you support Donald Trump now and you're saying, Oh, look how wonderful it is. Oh, look how, look how cute. Look how how, cute It's the same damn thing that they did before. So yeah, yeah, I see, I see, I see your point there. Now in in like MSNBC, liberal, more kind of like that to go over towards the Democrats or more liberal minded, they were criticizing it. But again, either 
there's there's the there's the inconsistency. Right. It's like these, these, these people had the Obama song on their iPod. Yeah. You they, know. Yeah. But now it's now it's being used as like you know oh it's such a terrible tool. <laughs> I think Luke's about to fall asleep. You can't get into the, you can't get into all the politics and stuff. <laughs> I I mean I hate politics, but I like politics. I don't know. Yeah, you you you, you say like you hate it. it, but you but you you like to talk about it's, it. Too. I'm I'm curious about it. It concerns us all to some degree, you know. Right, and it's it gonna, affects us whether we like it or not. And it's going to keep going too. I mean, yeah. we're in we're only the, at the beginning of this, and just think how contentious it's already been since it's going to be a very interesting one june july of last year yeah it's going to be oh god i thought the elections were like coming up this winter like i thought well that's how the the primary elections are (coughs) you got the iowa caucus here in the uh in the new hampshire primary in about a couple weeks from now we're recording this league right after super bowl the, the both those I think they I think they happen on the same day. They should just do them at halftime. Yeah, they should, or just do them at just do the election on the <laughs> more Super people Bowl. watch it. Yeah, so they'll start they'll start right. picking they'll start picking who it is that's going to be the nominee for both parties. And you were thinking we were, we were talking about you were thinking Bernie Sanders is going to get you guys are thinking Bernie Sanders is going to get the nomination for the Democrats. I hope so, and I find that really interesting. Because I really, do, I mean, he is a contender, I think, but I really think that Hillary's gonna, gonna, gonna get it. I really do because I see like she's the heir apparent, and I think that they make deals to have the person that they want in there, no matter what they do the primary. I think that's just all show, right? I mean, the, well, the Republicans have done that, that before. Be. Democrats have done it before too, right? I'm not saying that she won't be. I just out of the two of them, and I think that. I think Bernie Sanders, um, I think he's done a really good job as far as, you know, you know, he's been in politics, you know, Donald Trump never has like, what the hell you had the apprentice get out of here. That doesn't make you (laughs) someone worthy. You have a reality TV show. All right. Bernie Sanders has been in the government. He's been a politician. I'm not a big fan of politicians, but I think he has some good ideas and I think that Hillary, not that she has bad ideas, but I think that she has gotten to a point where people don't really trust her. Yeah, that's what I was about you know, to say. Like, people, people don't trust her, really. I mean, right. she, I don't. I don't trust her. I don't trust I don't, her at yeah, all. And I think, I, yeah, well, like I and said, I, I hope if she's, she doesn't. If she's the uh, if she's the candidate, I don't think that the Democrats have a chance. Mm-mm. Yeah, I really don't. I really don't. There's the dog. Oh man, he's he's the get he's the the the, the silent <laughs> guest until uh, now. I, I like what I like what he has to say more. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Donald Trump. But you know what? I haven't I haven't trusted Hillary since I mean really since I mean she was first lady really right. I mean it's pretty obvious that well it, that's the, where she got in trouble with, with all the cover ups and that's yeah. all I mean that's all the mud that they're yeah. dredging back up. And, and you know during the Monica Lewinsky scandal, I mean she she didn't. I mean, I think any wife probably in their right mind would have probably have just said, "Okay, screw it, I'm not going to stay with this guy." But she did because she realized that that was her ticket to for her own political career. Right. And she went into uh, 
the Senate, like shortly after that, ran for New York where she didn't live, you know, and then uh, when she was Secretary of State, you know, the, just that embarrassing Benghazi hearing where she said, what difference does it make? I mean, Clint, I mean, Hillary Clinton's dirty. I mean, the Clintons are both dirty. And, and, I, and I think people really know it. And Bernie Sanders has, uh, he's really kind of galvanized the young, a lot of young people, a lot of people that like, I mean, with the millennial generation. Yep. And that's the thing. And there's, there's more of them now than the baby boomers. So, yeah. What do you think about Sanders? Bernie Sanders, like, I mean, you get any opinion about any of this stuff? He sounds like a hipster, an old hipster. Well, he is kind of like an old <laughs> hipster, right? I mean, he's an old like civil rights, civil rights guy, and I, I, I hate, I hate to be he's the, a socialist. I hate to be the bad guy here, but you know, if, if Trump got it, like things definitely would get interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me ask you something. I was going to ask this to listen to you. You just like but, chaos. <laughs> I do. Yeah, you do. I do. I got to do. Uh, this is a, the rise of the satanic Trump. What do you think the, uh, what do you guys think is the the impetus for people liking Trump? I mean, where does that, where do you think that comes That's from? That's what I can't figure out, to be perfectly honest. I <laughs> thought it was, I honestly thought it was a joke the first time I heard it until I saw a bumper sticker. That yeah. said uh, Trump for president. I was like, What? Really? I mean, you think about it like me growing up in the 80s. I remember hearing about Trump and like he's just kind of like the sleazeball guy, you know, like yeah. he just like he, he represented like what was worse, the, the worst thing about like the kind of the the yuppie and, and like the the, and I've the, asked, tra- the 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 traitors on Wall Street, you know. And I've asked a lot of people and the only response I've gotten is, well, because he speaks his mind. It's like, well, yeah, yeah so does Alyssa. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? What do you think? I get it. I mean, I, I understand. You, you, I mean, you have a lot of, uh, with all this racial stuff that's been going on lately, like, uh, you know, the whole Black Lives Matter movement and uh, all the riots and stuff like that, it's, like, really stirred up the racism in a lot of white people, you know, especially, like, here in the South. Hmm. And I think that uh, they're all, like, a lot a lot of these racist people secretly have, like, this, this uh, affliction for him. You know, affection, affection, affection. So, whatever. so, so you think that you know, that could have been a Freudian slip? So, do you think that? Uh, I, I mean, do you think it's just all about race, though? Do you think it's all about just that they don't like, you know, different races, black people, Mexicans? I mean, do you think that's what it? That's all. It's yeah, about? I mean, like, well, his his whole um, all all the things he keeps saying about like sending the Mexicans out of the country, building a wall and stuff yeah. like that. I think a, a lot of like people here in the South. We'll agree with that. Well, like, it's not just in the that. South, though. I mean, it's it's all over the country. He has support all over the country. I mean, I, I guess you could say, hey, most of it might be in the South, considering well, it's, that yeah. the guy's from New. You <laughs> know, he's about as New York City as you're going to get. I would say South and Midwest, if if yeah. I had to take my my guess. Right, and that's why he's so popular in Iowa right now. And it, you know, too, uh, I I think really what it is is that people are just there's a lot of people out there that are just frustrated. And he, and and really, that's what it is. I mean, he's he does speak his mind so much so that he says the most idiotic things that he can possibly say, like the like yesterday or two days ago when he said that uh, that he his his people or his supporters would vote for him even if he shot somebody on Fifth Avenue, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> you know th- these are the type of things that you don't think a candidate would say, 
But then again, at the same time, it's like, that's, I think that's why people like him because he's kind of like the uncandidate, right? He's not, he's not saying all this kind of like political mumbo jumbo. He just, he just speaks his mind we're, we're, and people really, and people really respond to that. But is that really what we need? That's no, the question. No, He's we, the outward, <clears throat> outward extension of people's like hidden racism. That's what I just said. <laughs> I just, just literally said that. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> I just walked in from taking the dog back in the house, but that's to me, that's people are still racist down, deep down, but they know you can't be that way in public. You can't say that because it's not politically correct anymore. He brings that out in people. He's their outward expression of their racism and their bigotry and their intolerance. And, you know, I saw this thing today that summed it up perfectly that it that shows just how far some people have come and just how far some still have to go. Anybody that supports him, I still think, has a long way to go as far as, you know, civility and. Yeah. I just really want to understand where people come from on it. I, I really do. I, I really I, I really don't want to sit here and think that just people are just that just because they're racist. Well, they won't admit it. I mean, that's not the reason why it's because <laughs> X, Y, and Z, but really there are people out there that just blindly follow him. It seems like, yeah, you know, like well, people I mean, that don't like, they don't really, they don't really tell you about what his plans are with anything. It's just, yay, Trump, get the brown people out of our country. And that's what it seems like it's it's based on. I've never, I haven't heard one person who supports Trump actually give me any facts about a, what he stands for, what he's running for, anything. Well, here's another thing about Trump is that, you know, he started out and he started out saying a few things, but what now has happened is, is that he is definitely just kind of just tells this group of people really what they want to hear. I mean, that's what he's doing. Yeah. I mean, he's just saying, you know, like the Paris attacks happened and then all of a sudden everything, everything shifted from talking about Mexicans to talking about Muslims, Muslims yeah. you know, and you had that scene in uh, South Carolina. I think this was in the last two weeks also that um, he was kicked out or no, this Muslim woman, American, uh, who's a flight attendant, was standing silently with her husband uh, in the middle of the Trump of the rally in South Carolina, which is one of the early primary states, and wearing a she's wearing a Star of David, and she just sat there silently, and wearing something on her shirt like "I come in peace" or something like that. I, I don't quite remember what it was that it said, but people were just yelling <laughs> at her, telling her to get out, <laughs> and and in security uh, escorted them. And I heard also too, like we were talking about this last month about this Black Lives Matter protester that went in there, and the same thing happened. And you know, I don't really want to sit here and compare Donald Trump to Hitler because I don't think that I don't think he's as smart as Hitler. (laughs) (laughs) Don't want to give him that much credit. Yeah, yeah, I don't think he could get the following. Right, right. Because Hitler obviously had to have a following to accomplish what he did. Right. But but in but in Weimar Germany, which is, was the the republic that preceded Nazi, the Nazi regime, you had this kind of where this kind of a situation where you had basically fighting in the streets between the ultra right and the ultra left, the communists 
and the basically the Nazis, the fascists. And the same thing was happening at Hitler rallies where someone of communist or somebody would go in, start yelling something, and they would, you know, the, the SA, the stormtroopers would bash their heads in and remove them out of the hall. And this kind of stuff, especially now when you mix in like the Black Lives Matter protests and what's going on there, it's starting to really remind me of that situation. It's not necessarily that we're going to become, we're going into like the new, the new Third Reich, although I'm sure there's some people that would debate that. Yeah. But, you know, it really is starting to kind of worry me and remind me just how politically polarized we are, where people are literally, I mean, literally, if, are people <clears throat> going to really start fight, just like street, we're going to have street fights? Well, and, and I that's, hope so. that's the thing that, wow, that scares me about it. Is that if, <laughs> Rob has a katana. If you get yeah, Rob does have a katana. If Sam you get Rob people Rob. that riled up and that and that um, that separated, then somebody is going to swoop in and capitalize on it. Yeah, and it's just a dangerous, dangerous yeah. setup. And 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 I we were talking before that we started the show, just like that. You know, Alyssa was saying she felt like Bernie Sanders was going to get nominated, and I was thinking I could not see a more like total polar opposites than Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders. I mean, you talk, I mean like Hillary Clinton, at least she would be somewhere in the middle, even though she's more on the left-hand side. But you think about like, like, like Bernie Sanders, Donald Trump. I mean, that would be a, there'd be a wide gulf in between those two. If yeah. they were the candidates, for it will President divide this country. It'll divide it straight Truly. down the middle. Truly. What do you think, Luke? Let's keep rolling. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, let's take a break here. Uh, guys, we're going to have on Soraya Askath from the podcast, Where Did the Road Go? And we're going to talk, we're going to drop the politics for a little while and talk about ghosts and goblins and aliens Yay! and, uh, and pro- hopefully Satanists as well. And, uh, <laughs> coo- and some Kundalini right. and, and some metal for you, Luke. Yes. Yes. Right, best, so best show ever. <laughs> we're going to take a break here, break for us, but. The, the joys of editing, you will hear it automatically from Samurai Rob. We'll oh. be right back on Conspiranormal. Okay, guys, we're back on Conspiranormal. And a few months ago, back when we uh, first got on IPBN, uh, I was listening to the show uh, one day in the morning, and I was, I was kind of getting ready. And I turn on the stream, and I just hear... These three guys talking about aliens and alien abduction and Whitley Strieber and talking about how it had things to do with altered states of consciousness and other such oddities. And I thought to myself, man, these these guys are like right up my alley because as everybody knows, this is the kind of stuff we talk about on this show. And I kind of did a little bit of research and found out that the show was called Where Did the Road Go? And started listening to the show pretty religiously. And we have on the line the host of that show, Soraya Askath. And Soraya, thanks for coming on Conspiracy Normal. Oh, thanks for having me on. Oh, absolutely. Uh, big fan of the show. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It's become like one of my staples now to listen to. Awesome. You have, uh, you, you're really pr- prolific. Like now, especially you're doing all these midweek podcasts and all this, all this stuff. So you're putting out like two or three podcasts, I think a week. <laughs> just, just, just two so far. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, go ahead. 
the thing is, it's a, it's a, for me to have a guest on, I want to know their stuff. I want to sit down, read their book. And I, you know, I'm doing a lot of other stuff as well. So it's, you know, I don't want to do five shows a week cause I won't be able to do that. And the, the quality will go down. Yeah. I, I feel the same way about what we do too. I, usually with uh guests, I try to re- get as much of the book read of, as possible Yeah, and to try to kind of understand where they're coming from. Uh, so yeah, I hear you. I mean, I do, we do this show about sometimes about twice, about, uh, bi-weekly and mm-hmm. then sometimes we'll do it, we'll do it weekly. It just depends on who we have on and, and how, like how long it takes me to read certain books. Most, yeah. most books are fairly short, so you can kind of read them within a good amount of time. Until, so. until you get to the 500 page epics. Oh yeah, I know. I've had a couple of those before. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, um. Robert Sullivan's that uh, he, I think his was around about like about that same amount. Mm. So I kind of had to like kind of pick and choose the stuff I wanted to talk about to try to kind of, but to try to kind of understand it and grasp it. So yeah, yeah I totally yeah. understand where you're coming from on that. I uh, ended up having to split Chris O'Brien into two interviews because there was no way I had enough time to finish his book before the show. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, it, I, also the, the Steph Young interview that you just put out, but uh, that was in two, but I think that's because there's just so much to talk about. I think her books are pretty short. Yeah. As I understand. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that comes, she sends them to me on Kindle and the Kindle thing said it took about three hours to read the whole book. Right. So yeah. it's not a lengthy book, but she just packs, it's just constant information from front to back. Yeah. Luke's also good about reading all the books for the show too. Yeah. Every one of them, every page, <laughs> every time. <laughs> Well, Soraya, uh, uh, what I wanted to start talking to you about, man, is like kind of like, you know, how did you become, what's your background and, and how did you become interested in kind of like these weird topics that you talk about on the show and we talk about here on this show a lot? Well, um, I was always interested in the stuff. Like when I was a kid back in the 70s, you know, that was in search of, of course, and just anything I could find on on the, you know, Bigfoot, UFOs. Atlantis. I mean, they, they were the big things back then. It wasn't, you know, so uh, subdivided. Right. And anything I could find, I found interesting. To me, it didn't, you know, it, it wasn't, to me, an astronomer should be studying UFOs, you know, or an archaeologist should be looking for Atlantis. And I didn't understand why they weren't. Hmm. And uh, so I just, you know, I, I eventually started uh, getting interested in things like magic and studying people like Alistair Crowley. And it just kind of all tied together as new stuff, as I encountered new stuff over the years. Like, I got tired of UFOs for a while because it seemed like there was nothing really new coming out until I uh, encountered Whitley Strieber's stuff. Right. And that kind of got me far more interested. Then I found Jacques Vallée, and and I was just like, wow, all right, you know, and John Keel and all this stuff. And I was just like, wow, this is completely different than I thought it was. You know, that simple explanation of extraterrestrials coming to Earth simply didn't work anymore for me. Yeah, it's really the same here. I I, I kind of was in like the 90s, uh, like the X-Files age, which incidentally premieres tonight <laughs> again. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it was it, to me, it was like it, it had to have been all nuts and bolts. Like they were coming from another right. galaxy or another planet. Uh, a lot of that that was really big at that time, like guys like Stanton Freeman. And then I. I read a lot, like I had read communion back when I was like, really, I was like 12 years old, 12 or 13. And I remember it just scared the hell out of me. 
And so I kind of just put it away, you know, it's always in the back of my mind, but really it was something like the Mothman prophecies. That was a big change. Cause I read that about 2001, but the movie came out yeah, and yeah. that got me thinking in, in a lot different level about it. I've never actually read Valet stuff, but I am familiar with, with his, with his work and where he comes you from. On it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, Keel, Keel, I actually came across cause he was writing for fate magazine and he very quickly became my f- favorite columnist there. And then I started going, you know, I need to read his books. <laughs> yeah. I've only read Mothman prophecies. I haven't read any other, like, uh, what was this other one? Like our haunted world or something like that. Yeah. There's our, our haunted haunted planet. I believe there's Disney, Disneyland of the gods. <laughs> I uh, love Operation that title. Trojan horse. Uh, and some of them have different titles. Like the eighth tower was, was one, but it's been, uh, it's renamed as something else now and been, uh, republished. And I forget what the name is. Well, yeah. what was it about communion that, really grabbed you that that particular book i mean it's a good question um i think it was just the the you know part of it's that whitley's a storyteller yeah and so he can really make you feel what he was experiencing and of course that that works against him in a way because people will be like well he's a storyteller he's making it up um i don't believe he made it up i think this stuff really happened to him i think it really scared the crap out of him it definitely wasn't a good business move no Um, it wasn't but I, I think that's what kind of gripped me is that, you know, I could really feel what he was experiencing from the way he wrote. Um, when I got to Transformation, I started realizing that some of his experiences were very similar to experiences I had, but I didn't have the UFO imagery around them. Yeah, that, let's talk a little bit about those experiences because you did a whole show back in, I believe, May or June of last year. Yeah, something like that. And you were talking about uh, this is one where you, where you didn't have a guest and you was your co-host, uh, mm-hmm. Luke at the time. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, you guys were talking about some of your your Kundalini experiences and kind of yeah. like this awakening that you had. When you were younger, and, and first of all, kind of explain Kundalini and what exactly that is for those of us that are or in our audience that might not know. Well, if, if people are familiar with it at all, they're usually familiar with Kundalini Yoga, and it's uh, essentially meant it, it's it's an energy force that kind of is at the base of your spine. And in Kundalini Yoga, you're you're trying to rise, raise it up through your chakras to your crown chakra above your head, and then bring it down. There's like two uh, energy currents, one on either side of the spine. But for me, I had no idea what it was. It just started affecting me. There's, there's what's called uh, morbid kundalini arousal. And uh, that's when it just wakes up on its own, and you have no control over it. And that's what happened to me when I was like 12 or 13 years old, and it caused me an enormous amount of pain, and it just it made me think I was losing my mind. And I'd go to all these doctors and there was nothing physically wrong with me, but I'd be in enormous amounts of pain. And it wasn't till it was something I had, I had written for some book catalog I had written for out of Fate magazine. And it showed up with an article on Kundalini and I'm reading it going, oh, my God, this is everything I'm experiencing. Hmm. And so I, you know, got the book and it was it was kind of a new age type of book, but it had enough in there to put point me in the right direction and make me realize, yes, this is what I've been experiencing for the last eight or nine years and had no idea what it was. What what kind of pain? Like what what would happen? Like how would you feel when this when this started? Well it would the pain would usually be around chakra areas, which, you know, 
if that hadn't happened to me, I'd probably say chakras were just kind of something, you know, that you could focus on, maybe sort of create in your energy field. But the pain was always around chakras. So maybe they, they do have some kind of empirical existence. Um, but it really felt like someone was taking a burning hot knife and stabbing me with it and twisting. Wow. Like kind of, in, kind of in your spine or like? Yeah, you- yeah, usually in the spines, occasionally in the stomach. So I went to a lot of stomach doctors while they tried to figure out why I had these horrible stomach pains, but there was nothing physically wrong with me. I was extremely healthy. So when you had these, you would go to the doctor and they would tell you that, that there was nothing physically wrong with you. Right. And yeah. then, but, but you would keep experiencing these things. Now, did, did it, did it eventually stop? No. So you still have this even today? Yeah. Every once in a while, the pain is not so bad now because I've learned how to get the energy moving. The yeah. pain comes apparently from blocks and they're, they're sort of blocks in your head. You know, it's stuff you haven't dealt with or whatever. Uh, and when it hits one of those, those chakras that corresponds with those blocks, that's when you get the pain. Okay. And I've actually blacked out from the pain before. Wow. And I have a very high pain tolerance. I think the only thing that's ever come close is I had an abscessed tooth once. And that was probably the closest I've ever had to uh, actual kundalini pain. Now, is this something that could cause like electrical interference? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, definitely. Could you like turn – like you'll hear about this from time to time about the people that can turn uh, street lights off. Mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is really weird sliders i think is the name for them is that something that you've that you've done before oh yeah absolutely um on both small scales and big scales and the the irony in this is i i my i make a living fixing computers right and uh and doing radio stuff too so yeah. you're around all these kinds of equipment yeah it's so luckily over the years i've learned how to balance out the energy so it doesn't generally screw stuff up like a few times this week i've had problems uh last night when i was on the air my my tablet was just going crazy every time i touched it and i'm going come on i need to put this in my playlist <laughs> and it's going oh now i'm overheating i'm like you're not doing anything <laughs> wow that, that's really odd too because i was just looking up that phenomena last night and read about it really yeah like electrical interference from the body with lights oh the street lights oh yeah with, with street light, lights yeah See, I didn't even know that was a thing, but I have a friend who, like, they used to happen all the time whenever she was around, like, they would just blink out. Well, if if you look at Kenneth Ring's work when he uh, studied near-death experience, uh, people who had near-death experiences and UFO abductions, one of the common elements is they'll have both electrical interference and kundalini uh, after the experiences. So how did this all relate when you started studying, like, occult stuff like, like Aleister Crowley? You know, how did that relate to that? And we're kind of smiling in here because Crowley has to come up on this show like at least once a month. So <laughs> I'm really thinking about if Rob could get like a soundboard of just like Ozzy Osbourne saying, Mr. Crowley, every thought, time somebody I was somebody going past week and I'm really regretting that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so how did this, I mean, how did that relate? They were actually to the, completely separate things. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to understand. I had a friend who was into Wicca. Yeah. And I was kind of hesitant to to look into it, and she was like, "No, no, no. There's nothing nothing bad here. It's just a nature religion." And I started reading up on it, and I said, "Well, this is kind of interesting. I wonder if this stuff actually works." And then I did more research and found out, oh, 
So this isn't actually what it's pretending to be. This isn't necessarily an ancient religion because Wicca was created by uh, Gardner and uh, with the help of Crowley and McGregor Mathers and stuff. They kind of put together the current version of Wicca. I mean, some of it's folk magic, but a lot of it came from Crowley. So then I started looking into Crowley. I also had a friend who was really into Crowley and kept recommending I read his stuff. So I sat. I read his autobiography, and I was pretty impressed. It's pretty and light. Like, pretty light reading, you know. Yeah, it's only like a thousand pages. <laughs> and I'm sure it's all about sex and drugs. No, not really. <laughs> no, it's uh, it goes all over. That. I mean, because he was like he he did mountain climbing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was a he was a champion mountain climber. He had a pretty screwed up childhood. You know, he was he was raised in a very strict religious religious sect, and uh, he rebelled Brethren. against yep. it. What was that? Plymouth Brethren. Yeah, the Plymouth. Yep. Plymouth. And they had broken into two sects while he was there over some minor little disagreement. And he just started questioning all the stuff, which got his mother naming him the Beast because he always asked questions. And so he kind of took that proudly, and that stuck with him, obviously, the rest of his life. But, yeah, the book is the book doesn't have a lot about sex in it honestly it's just his his life from beginning to whatever point he read he wrote the book um all kinds of different experiences but what i liked is that he kind of took magic as a science he would always say the method of science with the goal of religion because hmm. his whole thing was about uh communion with the holy guardian angel which he defined as your higher self so every aspect of magic, white magic, would be trying to contact your higher self and understand your true purpose. Why do you think he gets such a bad rap? Oh, because uh, he, he did some pretty horrible things here and there. Yeah. And he liked to encourage people <laughs> with the whole beast thing. Like, he, he preyed upon people's ignorance sometimes. Uh, one of my favorite stories with him was that he, he, when he bought the, the castle at Loch Ness, uh, that Jimmy Page later bought, yeah. he uh, put a sign up. And I forget exactly what the sign said, but it was something. And it said, beware of, and then it had this long word in another language. So everyone's thinking he's some, some kind of demon and it's patrolling his land and they're all freaking out. And really what the word translated to was nothing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So he was a massive practical joker. Yeah. He also had a ton of intelligence ties too. Like, oh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Ian, yeah. Ian Fleming was an associate of his. Yep. And uh, Fleming apparently, uh, like, well, I think not Fleming, but another uh, author that's, that was kind of in the same mix put him a character in one of his books that was based on Crowley. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I mean, there's, there's good and bad there. Um, but he definitely, I mean, he was a very accomplished person. He did a lot of different stuff. And, uh, yeah, it just it fascinated me because I, I, I could I I really liked the way he approached things and the way he looked at things. Yeah. It was very practical. You, you know, I I'm my my opinion on him and, and being someone that has never like read his works directly, uh I just have this this view of him not as like this great beast, like he's kinda like he's kind of the bugaboo, especially among <laughs> like uh really like of lack of a better term, evangelical Christian circles, you know, he's like right. the root of all evil, you know, Aleister Crowley uh, is the one behind all the, behind uh, 
uh, Miley Cyrus and all the all the all these people that are up are all the uh, uh, popular culture now. But you right. know, I just look at him and I just think, you know, he he's kind of a he's kind of a sad character because there was this very charlatan esque uh, thing about him, and he did die, you know, just a, kind of a sad drug drug addict, really. Yeah, and he was a drug addict because that's what they prescribed from. I think it came from the mountain climbing. He started developing some breathing issues. Uh, around 1900, and what they prescribed for that was o- uh, was opium, and right. he got heavily addicted to it. Right, and like he was addicted to heroin, and uh, yeah, and, yeah, and a lot of the stuff they were prescribing as medicine at the time. Yeah, that's true, because they didn't really know like kind of the effects of it. It was yeah, very I mean, coke had cocaine in it, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was very common to very common to do that. Didn't he write a book called Confessions of a Drug Fiend? Okay. Yep. You know, and then he had the what was that 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 abbey that he had in uh Thelema Abbey at yep. that the island in Italy. Yeah. It, this says a digression. Have you ever heard the uh, internet rumor that Barbara Bush is his daughter? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> totally not true, but it was funny. <laughs> well, I, don't, I mean, I, you can put Crowley and Barbara Bush side by side. I mean, it, it does kind of look like Crowley wearing a wig, but maybe that's because Barbara Bush is evil, too. You never know. Yeah. Could be. <laughs> but I, one thing that I find interesting about Crowley and, and what I've what I've always just found fascinating is the character of Lamb. Yes. And that's one of the things that's pointed to, especially a lot of the – because I've kind of come from uh, a kind of an evangelical Christian background with this stuff. Uh, guys like Ellie Marzulli, I don't know if you're familiar with him. Yep. Okay. Yep. You know, he talks a lot about the Nephilim, and, and but he also talks about Crowley and and the character of Lamb and just how much it looks like a gray alien. And yeah. That, that's, that's something that's always fascinated me. And, and I think that for me was um, – there was a book called Report on Communion, and I remember actually reading this back in, God, but at the same time I read Communion, I was probably about 13 years old at that point, and I'm reading this kind of stuff, and you know, I remember them talking about that, and, I, and that was one of the things that I think later on when I looked at it really made me think, you know, there's something a lot more to this grays thing than what is, than they just come from another planet or another solar system or something. Yeah, well, and the thing is, I uh, I had interviewed someone on about Crowley who was uh, who had done a a page called Crowley for President, I think it was <laughs> Crowley twenty twelve, and uh, it was a pretty amusing page, just saying, you know, I mean, essentially, Crowley would have qualified as maybe a libertarian. Yeah, he really would have, and so would have uh, uh, Jack Parsons. Yes, his, one of his little acolytes there. You know, yep. he he was uh, his stuff was he he did a lot of political writings and his stuff was very libertarian viewpoint and so you know i had this guy on the show and what we had talked about lamb and he said he had said that lamb was apparently a self-portrait of crowley Mm. now i don't know if he was right or not um because i've heard a lot of other stories revolving around lamb and yeah it definitely has that that similarity to the gray alien um but you, you have that all throughout our culture. I mean, you look at the fairy stories and all this other stuff. I mean, the similarities are there. Like this stuff has been with us forever. Right. It, Even it, um, one of the things I've been noticing, like I'll watch Ghost Adventures. It's one of the few shows like that I'll watch just because they amuse me sometimes. <laughs> yeah, right. And they have some kind of neat equipment. And one of the things that I've noticed is they'll, they'll do these, uh, 
they'll use like the Xbox Connect equipment mm-hmm. to determine if there's a shape in the room they're not seeing. And if it ever comes up with a shape, it's always small. And I'm always like, why is it always small? And does this connect with the whole fairies, elves, greys type of archetype? Because they're always, almost always small. Right. That's interesting. I never thought about that before. Which just lends credence to the idea that maybe the same thing is behind all the same, all this different phenomena. Well, I want to ask you this, Soraya. Uh, do you think that this phenomenon, it, it, like the fairies and now the alien abduction, the alien contact experience, do you think that it's the same phenomenon, that it's just masked itself in different uh, masks as humanity has developed? Oh, absolutely. Because when we were in an agrarian culture, you can definitely see like the fairies, the people of the woods, and now we've come because it's like industrial, post-industrial culture, and you can definitely see these, uh, you know, like the aliens coming to us and bringing us these, these dire warnings. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. do you think that there's I, something there to that? Oh, I think absolutely. I, I don't. I, I have no doubt that they're the same phenomena. I think that right. whatever it really is, we can't actually interact with on a direct level, so we have to put some kind of mask on it. Um, like, for instance, we, we encounter it and in, in, imagine it's just some kind of anomalous energy. And our brain has to give us some kind of identification for that anomalous energy. And it just, it just stretches and it goes, uh, 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 alien, you know? Yeah. Because you see, like, after communion and missing time were, were posted or posted, printed, um, and became bestsellers, especially communion, you saw the gray alien archetype a lot more but only in countries where communion had been published. And that says to me, it's, you know, either a people are making it up, which I don't, you know, I mean, obviously some people are, but most people I think are very honest with their experiences. Um, I think that it, it creates that mask that they're wearing because the brain can now jump to that mask that it's familiar with. Well, one thing I found fascinating too, is that, in the 1940s and the 1950s, when the aliens would show up, they would usually, you, you didn't have these grays. They'd usually be like these Nordic characters. Yeah. Yep. And they would come and they would send these dire warnings about, you know, the, the atomic bomb and you need to change your ways before you destroy your planet. Mm-hmm. And in, in Streber's account and in others' accounts, by then, this is the 1980s. There's in the nineties, there's more of this, uh, emphasis on, uh, co- uh, climate collapse. Yeah. Environment, environmental collapse that this is going to happen. And this is your warning. And it's like, they're just reflect, but there were, they, st- so to me that sent up a red flag because I'm just like, that is reflecting our concerns. <laughs> well, that's, yes. that's kind of how I've always sort of looked at it is it's, <clears throat> Maybe the whole phenomena is a projection of ourselves, you know, the, not just the appearance, but the yeah, their or, nature or in general. at least some aspect of it is a mirror to us, right? Right. Yeah. It's it's utterly fascinating. You know, one of the things I did, um, I had on. This is one of the first shows that Rob was with us for. This is back like at the end of 2014. I had on two people that were experiencers and 
I like to use that word in like alien abductees because really to me, sure. it's, it's really contact experience. Like, like alien abduction, I think is just, it's become, I hate the term. I've come to really yeah. hate it because that really does imply that, Hey, they're, they're physically coming and taking you. Yeah. I don't think that's really what's taking place. Although I'm sure there's some older researchers that would probably disagree with that. But well, I, I had on these two guys, uh, one was Michael Carter, and he comes at it for, he's a Unitarian minister, and he comes at it, but he comes at it from a very kind of like a new age kind of viewpoint, that the aliens are our friends, and they want us to join them in, in the sky, and to take us into the Federation. And then I had another guy named Guy Malone, who is an evangelical Christian, who sees it very much as a negative point of, negative point of view, Mm-hmm. And sees them all sees them all as demons, and it was a very civil discussion. But it I kind of realized show. through that that almost it was like it's like your point of view kind of determines what they are for you in a way. Yes. Oh, yeah. I think how you approach the phenomena determines what it is and how it responds to you. And that's something that I've really gotten out of your show listening is that, you know, I, I was very much when I started this show, I was very much that like all this, this kind of experience was all just demonic and that's all it was. And lately I've kind of gotten away from that. I still think there might be an element there, but I've kind of just thought maybe it's just an, ex- it's just an experience. It's just experiential. There, there's also the fact that, you know, we don't, Human beings are are both good and bad. Each of us have our good sides and our bad sides. None of us are perfect. Right. But we expect these beings to be one thing or the other. We expect them to be all good or all bad. And when you look at the fairy stories, the fairies could be good to you or they could be bad to you, depending on how you what you did to them and how you were behaving. Yeah, I mean, fairies could be really mean in, yeah. some, in some of the lore. Like there was a one... Uh, story that I watched this documentary about fairies and there was this one story that they said that this guy saw the fairy, two fairy women bathing and Mm -hmm. uh, they basically cursed him. And and when he got, when he went to went home and went to sleep, he woke up the next morning and he was blind for the rest of his life. I remember that one. Like, you know, that's pretty, I mean, that's, that's pretty hardcore. I mean, like you think about fairies, you think of Tinkerbell, but no, they're pretty mean little things really. Right. It's like, it's like, mermaids and sirens yeah like but they're the kind of the you have, same thing but different you you do have fairy stories though where they help people yeah. and where they like you know give people these amazing gifts and things like that so there's there's definitely a two-sided phenomena just and they may just be complicated like people are what do you think about the ayahuasca experiences i think it's deeply connected um yeah. I think that you're you're accessing the same realm that these things are coming from. I think that shamans have been doing it. I think when you uh, work with magic, you're doing it because really, ma- magic you're 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 doing a couple things. Whenever you're working with magic, you're altering your consciousness for one, but you're also trying to alter that part of your unconscious that helps create the reality around you. Have you ever worked closely with any shamans or had any any experiences like like no. that? No. I've never actually done a drug in my life. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've had I've had enough weird experiences without them. Yeah, yeah. That. <laughs> you, you know, in the ayahuasca, the ayahuasca experience. I mean, obviously, I've 
never done it or been close to that, but it's, it, we did have someone on that talked about that mm-hmm. and you know, people see reptilians, they'll see grays, they'll see praying mantis creatures, all the same kind of stuff that is in right. that, that uh, alien contact experience. And, but another aspect of it, and I think Luke could talk a little bit more to this than I can, is this idea that you are confronting your inner demons and yes. like you're being pulled apart and basically to be put back together. And that's very similar to the alien abduction experience where you're put on the slab and you're poked mm-hmm. and you're prodded the anal probes or whatever, sperm taken, ovum taken. And it's almost like you're being torn apart and then put back together. So it's very, it's very um, similar. Can you, yeah. Do you want to talk about Luke? Yeah. I mean, um, when, whenever you read, read it to some Buddhism, uh, the, the Dharma, you talk, they talk about like the nine levels of hell and, and uh, that's essentially like the same thing. They they talk about the soul, the soul being tore apart over and over again, and that's basically what's happening is to uh, stripping, you know, stripping uh, your all of these negative things that's accumulated like it's on a, your conscience. It's, like it's a confrontation of all your regret and guilt, and, right? And, it's, it's all it's all your illusions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I <clears throat> have no regret or guilt. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Alyssa is perfect. Uh, no, I, I do. I do think that there is a a uh, an intelligence behind it. I don't think it's all us. Yeah. I think that we definitely put the face on it uh, because I don't think we can interact with it directly. But I think when we're experiencing it here, they're coming here. When we're going into a, an altered state with ayahuasca, DMT stuff like that, we're going closer to where they are, wherever that may be. You know, tuning into their reality a little bit. The other thing with with abduction accounts is occasionally you do have physical evidence. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the monkey wrench in it. If there wasn't the physical evidence, if there was never anything physical that someone could point to, you know, scuffed shoes, burn marks on the ground, things like that, you could say, well, yeah, it's it's a psychological altered state experience, but... Sometimes you have multiple witnesses. Sometimes you have physical evidence. Um, and plus you have things like implants that are not easy to explain away. Yeah, we have Elliot Marzulli in our theme uh, song talking about how implants are real. <laughs> yeah. So w- what do you think about that, though? Do you think – because there is this idea about apports. Uh, and I mean like the – and I think there's similar things in fairy lore too. Yes, yeah. Um, obviously it's more of a technological level now, but I mean, the, the research I've seen done on these things is definitely puzzling. It doesn't prove anything, but it's, it's definitely a mystery. It's hard to prove anything in this field because it's so, you know, it's so non-physical for the most part. You know, you find an odd thing in your body, you can say, yes, this is odd. We can't tell you how it got there or what it is. And it might be giving off radio waves, but that doesn't prove that it was put there by an alien intelligence. Could be the government. Exactly. Yeah. You never know. Uh, that's where, that's where I was, what I was going to ask you about, too, is like, you know, mind control experiments, uh, these, these type of things that have happened. And we know that those have happened through like mm-hmm. MK Ultra. And it, it, I have to wonder sometimes with some of this alien abduction stuff, whether there is that that aspect is there. Oh, I think it is. I d- definitely think it is. Um, 
I mean, they've used the UFO phenomena right from the beginning for, for all kinds of stuff, whether it be something pretty, pretty obvious like covering up experimental aircraft to, I think, messing with people's heads and seeing, you know, how they can uh, affect people. They've also been monitoring UFO groups. I mean, um, Jacques Vallée wrote a whole book called Messengers of Deception talking about this stuff, how they've used UFO groups and stuff to spread propaganda and other stuff. You know, Betty and Barney Hill is one that comes to mind. Uh, recently, I've kind of looked back into that. And I really think that there was some mind control stuff happening there. During the experience or after? I think during and possibly after, too. How come? Uh, well, one of the things that gets me is that, okay, you have early 1960s. Granted, they're in the north, uh, New England. But they are also they were civil rights mm. organizers, and I feel like they would have been as a, and as a mixed couple too at that time. There's a certain amount of stress that went into that, but I feel like sure. they would have been possibly targets by the establishment, and easily probably to mess with them in order to possibly uh, I don't know ruin the credo the cred of the civil rights movement or looking into the possibility that there were leftists in the civil rights movement, all this kind of stuff. Certainly uh, a possibility. That they would have left themselves, that they would have, they really would have left themselves, I think, open for being targeted on that. And I, I can't remember the name of the guy, but uh, there was a author, and Nick Redford actually writes about this. So I'm kind of pulling a lot of this from him. There was an author that wrote, the author that wrote the book, Interrupted Journey, mm -hmm. also had written a book uh, about this town in France that was, yeah, that got infected by this. They all ate this poison bread or something, yep. and they all started just tripping balls and having these like serious hallucinations. And he was actually told by somebody high up in the CIA, he was actually told that he was going to, after he wrote that book, that book, he was going to get it. This all the skinny on the on the. It, the uh, the mind control the MK Ultra mind control stuff and Barney and Betty th then he wrote the, but that's the book he came out with was the interrupted journey so it seems kind of odd that you know he's talking all but all about this mind control but then he comes out with that book too yeah so, but you'd have to w wonder what they did exactly yeah. um, especially because it is so so much uh, a template for experiences other people have had right. And it, it makes you wonder, too, though, does this phenomenon follow then that template? Because people read it, it goes into the popular culture. Could be. And they just they just pick up on it. It's kind of like the black-eyed kid stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's that's one that I've, I've found fascinating. But what do you think about the black-eyed kids? Do you no. think that there's something to it? Do you think it's all – or do you think it's internet rumor? It's really hard for me to say. I Like, like I want to say it's all internet rumor. Yeah. Um, having talked to, uh, oh, what's his name? I can't, I'm blanking on his David name. David Weatherly? David, uh, David Weatherly. Yeah. Um, you know, he seems very certain that these are not internet rumors, that these are real people. He's talked to tons of people who have had these experiences. And I feel like, you know, with a lot of this stuff, I feel like, you know, I wasn't there. I don't know. I don't have the right to say, oh, they're making it up. Um, it just, it sounds like something that people are making up. It doesn't mean that they are. 
Um, so I've always had that hesitation with the Black Eyed Kids, although it does kind of mimic the Men in Black encounters in a lot of cases. A yeah. lot of the the atmosphere to it is very, very similar. Right. Yeah, uh, it is. You, when we were talking about things mimicking, too, you got to consider the very first case of a UFO causing a car to stop, you know, killing the power in a car, was in a story, not an actual event. And hmm. after that story, you started seeing that actually happening. Well, it's like the flying saucers that was originally used to describe the way they moved. Yeah. And then people Skipping started seeing like saucer-shaped saucer. Right. I've heard stories of, like, the old, like, back in the 50s, 60s, the UFO movies. Like, that was, like, a conditioning for the population. Like, they knew about it, and they were just trying to, like... Break, break them in? Yeah, break them like, in easy. Like, yeah. Yeah, like kind of giving people an idea of what was going on, but not really like still kind of fantasizing, you know, what it was. But they had an idea of what was going on. Yeah, there, there's this whole thing about uh, I'm I'm not sure who's who's like the author behind it or whatever. But there's whole there's this whole thing about a theory that uh, science fiction comes out first and then like lays the groundwork and then. You know what science fiction actually says, like later is like replicated in real life. Well, it's like self-fulfilling yeah. prophecies, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. It, it's exactly. our archetypes. Well, look how much stuff from Star Trek is is now technology. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, it makes sense because hey, they had a good idea. Can we do that? You know. Right. But the interesting thing about the the Black Eyed Kids is that, you know, again. I, the first time, you know, I've seen this the whole thing with the, just the solid black eyes. I've seen that in popular culture, science fiction yes. especially, because yep. you had, you know, the X-Files, right? The alien virus that it would infect the eyes and they, they went mm-hmm. totally black. <laughs> you know, the show Supernatural, that was, you, you know, the demon's eyes were completely yeah, black every like single time. Yeah, demon possession yeah. in so popular it's, TV. And then now. all of a sudden people start say, they an emphasis on say, that they start seeing these kids with solid black eyes. So if it's a real phenomenon, then maybe it's just mimicking what it thinks we expect, I guess. Well, and it kind of ties back to a Crowley-esque sort of a thing where, um, you know, belief, you know, enough people believe in something and, that's what all it takes to manifest. Yeah. You know, it's all energy or. Yeah, well, I mean, everything around us is just energy. I mean, what we're seeing isn't really there. It's an interpretation from our senses and our senses are extremely imperfect. Right. You know, our senses get, you know, just a little bit of data and fill in the, re- you know, our brain just fills in the rest to give us the image that we see and the perception we have of reality. But it's so incomplete and it's so uh, lo-fi. <laughs> limits it. Let's talk a little bit about briefly about this is one of the topics I love when you talk about on the show. It, and you've had a lot of people on about this, about like ancient civilizations and mm-hmm. this concept of quote unquote Ad- Atlantis. And like you've interviewed like John Anthony West, Laird Scranton, who we've had on this show. And, uh, you know, these are guys that really believe that, that there was this ancient civilization in the past that came and went. And uh, what, what's your stance? What's your stance on that? I, I think there's more than enough evidence to say that our, that there was something very advanced in the past. How advanced is hard to say, because I mean, we can't use our 
technology as a marker. You know, I mean, they may have been advanced in a completely different way than we are, and we wouldn't recognize it if they were. Right. Um, but I think there's more than enough structures and things that we really, you know, we still today, with the equipment we have, could not build the Great Pyramid the way it's built. Yeah. We can build smaller versions of it. Um, but any any engineer that looks at that is just like, I have no real idea how they did this, especially without giant cranes and all this other stuff. So they had to have – they had to know something. They had to know something we didn't know in order to do that. And I suspect that was probably passed down from, from a civilization somewhere. I think that's where the stories of the Anunnaki come from. I think those were the survivors. Yeah, and I think that that's probably, that's probably true it, besides like the, the 12th planet stuff, the Sitchin stuff, which we don't uh, – us here, we don't really buy that. You know? No, neither do I. I, th- I think yeah. if – if I had to put money on what happened at the end of the Ice Age, I would lean toward uh, the Electric Universe idea that Venus was a comet and it, it came in close to the Earth. This is the Velikovsky? Yeah, stuff. Velikovsky yeah. originated it. But Velikovsky put it much later in time. Um, the EU people put it back towards uh, you know the end of the Ice Age. Right, because there's some evidence, I think, that a comet – well, uh, we had a guy named R.J. Von Bruning on the show, and he had an interesting theory that there was like a comet that hit Alaska somewhere around like 10,500 B.C. And hmm. that that could have caused uh, – definitely like caused a pole shift or something like that. And and uh, that civilization, whatever was around, was wiped out at that time. Well, what I, what I find interesting is um – and Robert Schock talks about this, although Schock doesn't believe it was Venus. Schock believes it was a massive solar flare, which is also a possibility. Yeah. Um, but what's been found is that a lot of these uh, ancient inscriptions are actually plasma outbursts. So, like, you see the man that's, that's standing with, like, arms up, legs spread, and has the two dots on either side, and you see this in a lot of cultures – this is a plasma outburst. You can, you can recreate this in the laboratory. And there's something like, I don't remember exactly how many, say there's 20 of them that you find in ancient cultures all over the world. And the only way they would have seen this is if something massive happened in the sky, uh, whether it be a solar flare or a planet coming close and there was a thunderbolt type of uh, situation. The only ones that are not seen in these ancient artworks are the ones that would have been deadly to see. So if mm. someone was there and that form of radiation from these plasma outbursts hit, they would have died. So they couldn't have created those those things. I, I think Shock's um, work is pretty compelling. Absolutely. Uh, just like this, the weathering on the Sphinx in and of itself. I mean, just the mm-hmm. dating it to about, was it 7,000 BC? Much and older I'm- than what they think it, what is traditionally thought. Yeah, I think I think currently he he pushes it back to to twelve thousand years ago, the end of the last ice age. Wow! And but the, the I think seven thousand years ago is the the conservative date he initially came up with. And the Gobekli Tepe stuff is fascinating. Yeah. I mean, you really can't escape that because that has been uh, cohesively dated at about nine thousand years ago. Yeah, and you got Gadong uh, Padong there, down in Southeast uh, Asia. And I believe Graham writes about that in the new book. I don't have his new book yet. Um, but, uh, you know, you have this 
pyramid, basically, that's been buried, and they're slowly excavating it, and that could be even older than Gobekli Tepe. So we're, we're actually finding this stuff. Yeah. You know, and a lot of it's going to be underwater. That's the other thing. Yeah. Because of the sea, because of the sea levels, we haven't yeah. really heard anything about the pyramid you just described. Yeah, we never really talked about that. Oh, really? Yeah, there, there's, <clears throat> they're getting a little bit of a pushback from the standard archaeological community down there, but they did get permission to keep working on it. So, I think the, I think they're they're claiming the dates could be twenty to thirty thousand years old. Wow. Because it's what it is is it's something that's been built upon over and over. So they've always known there was something there, but it was only you know a few thousand years old. And then they started digging down, and they found structures underneath, and they were able to date some of the the material there. And the dates just keep getting older and older. And I was listening actually to one of your shows today. I think the last show uh, that you were talking with Red Pill Junkie and Joshua Cutchin, and you guys were talking about this uh, this like Nazca lines like uh designs that were found in kazakhstan right right yeah i think there's some in syria too if i'm not mistaken syria or saudi arabia somewhere in that range there's there's desert designs as well that have been discovered in the last couple of years that brings up a good question uh do you think there's anything to this idea that that we that we invaded Iraq and what's going on in the Middle East with Syria, that that's a way to like find ancient technology? I don't know about ancient technology. Um, I can say fairly certainly that there are, some people are using those invasions to loot priceless relics. Um, and I know someone who was investigating that, but there's also what broke in the news last year was the whole thing with Hobby Lobby and the people who run Hobby Lobby were doing just that. They were taking priceless relics from Iraq. They were having they were hiring people to go in there and just steal these and loot the museums. What? <laughs> yeah. Hobby Lobby? Yep, the people who owned it. <laughs> Hobby Lobby is a disgusting corporation. <laughs> Isn't they this are. The, the same people that uh didn't that didn't want to uh something like Support gay spouses or something like that? No, they uh, modified their health insurance plan for oh, all of their it. employees, that's for it. the female employees, because they felt that birth control was against God and it was a form of abortion. But hey, we we, we, we don't shop so, in Hobby Lobby. Yeah. So, um, no. yeah. <laughs> Everything nope. is so expensive there. Why the would Chick-fil-A you? is in the same group with me. But that's absolutely bizarre. I mean, were they getting it to sell, like, on the for black the market? Collections. For their private collections. I mean, the, the people who are running it are very rich. So it's not so much that they want it to make more money. They want it for, you know, hey, look what I have. Right. And, and there was someone who was writing a book about it. And when they tried to publish the book, uh, the publisher said, you can't publish this. You know, this this is, in, you know, implicating a lot of very rich people. I that's you're going to have to change it. I, I really wonder if they're actually buying this stuff from ISIS, because that's one of the things that they do. They're they're on the antiquities be. market. It very well could be. And that could be funding them for more, you know, weapons and everything else they need. That's crazy. That's a whole other show. right yeah, there. Well. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about near death experiences before we okay. get in some juicy topics here. You know, this is one that we have not covered really on this show, but I, I find it interesting that that you cover it, but in, but you also look at it in this kind of s- the same similar way of like the alien contact experience, right? Because you see that, that it's like a, like an altered state. 
It's uh, that's because of, of Kenneth Ring's work. Okay. Um, well, I'm not really familiar with him. Uh, he was a psychologist who was studying near-death experiences, and he wrote basically. Someone, his publisher, sent him a copy of Communion, and he said, "I don't do I don't do UFOs." He's like, "Read it." And so he read it, and he realized, wow, some of the after effects Whitley Strieber was experiencing are identical to the after effects that some of these near-death experiencers were having. So he set out two control two groups uh, with questionnaires and stuff like that, and a control group, and found that the people who have had near-death experiences and the people who have had alien abduction experiences have almost the exact same after effects. So... I think that was the thing that finally broke me away from the nuts and bolts model of UFOs. Because yeah. I'm like, if this is true, it, there's no way these things can be physical nuts and bolts aliens because what does that have to do with death? Right. Yeah. And, and doesn't uh, Streber talk about, I don't know if it's in Communion, but I think it's some of the other books where he talks about uh, seeing dead loved ones. Mm-hmm. And Solving the Communion Enigma, the, one of the more recent ones he did, he talks a lot about that. <clears throat> he talks about people, yeah, seeing dead loved ones. Like there was a case with a a fireball flies, you know, in front of this house, and the parents are out front watching it. They're like, "Was that a plane? What just happened?" You know, they're they're talking about calling the police, and they go back in the house, and their very young kid comes downstairs, and he says, "Danny was in my bedroom, or whatever the kid's name was, that their son who had passed." And they just kind of stopped, and they're like, "What?" And he's like, "He just wanted us, me to tell you that he's okay and everything's fine." You know, here's an interesting point that we've made before. I've made them before on this show. But I really want to get your idea on this, is that I think sometimes we have these different categories that we put the paranormal in. We have ghosts. We have UFOs. We have Bigfoot. We have all these different categories and subcategories. But it seems to me the deeper that you go down this rabbit hole with this stuff, that they just always seem to overlap. Mm-hmm. Uh, case mm-hmm. in point, I had a guy on the show, Stephen Lachance, who talked about a haunting experience that he had in a house in Missouri and written a couple books about it. And one book is about the hauntings that happened with him and another person. And another one is kind of like about the, about the aftermath of it. In the second book, he relays this experience that he has where Right after they kind of they leave the house after having some weird psychic stuff, things moving in their house, him and his son leave the house and they go driving down the road and all of a sudden they see UFO in the field right next to him. And he just said he just kind of like, you know, pushed it away and said, you know, I, d- I don't want to deal with two different phenomenon at the same time. And I remember just telling him on the show, I said, I think they may be connected. I think, mm-hmm. that you know, it, it's like. One is not necessarily separate from the other. I think it's the aliens. Why, why do you why do you think we kind of pigeonhole this stuff? Uh, because that's what it looks like. I mean, yeah. on the surface, it looks like different phenomena. But like, you know, read through Streber's stuff, and you see he's had all those paranormal experiences, knocking on the walls, things moving. Right. Um, and if you really want to get into to high strangeness stuff, you pick up uh, Hunt for the Skinwalker. Yeah, I've read that. Yeah. You know, and there you have so much different stuff. You have cattle mutilation, you have UFOs, you have entity encounters, you have stuff disappearing and reappearing. I mean, just some of the weirdest possible stuff, portals that they were watching open in the sky. Yeah. 
and assuming that they're they're telling the truth, again, you know, we're, we're, with any of these testimonies, we have to trust that the person is telling us the truth as they know it. Um, that's a lot of weird phenomena that's all tied together in one spot. Yeah. The, the other interesting thing that Kenneth Ring had come up with is uh, he coined what he called the, the encounter-prone personality. And he said that some people are obviously more prone to having these experiences. And one of the common elements he found is that a lot of them were abused as children. Um, so they had some kind of trauma in their young childhood. And, I mean, you could speculate that maybe that's, you know, if you're, if you're getting beaten as a kid, you're, you're going somewhere else inside, you know, to deal with it. Yeah. And this could be opening you up to that realm that these things inhabit. You know, you're, you're, you're essentially entering an altered state of consciousness as a child without knowing you're doing that. Right. That's an interesting, that's an interesting point of view there. Because it, it also seems like once that door is opened, it stays open. I mean, if you have a, an abduction experience, it's rare that that's it. You know, it just other stuff starts following it. Sarai, have you ever had a sleep paralysis experience? <sighs> My sleep paralysis experiences are weird. Um, <laughs> Do I have, tell. I, I have never <laughs> woken up. They're all up. weird. I've never woken up and been un- unable to move like where I, you know, I know yeah. I'm laying in my bed or whatever. What happens is I can't get out of a dream state. So I'll, I'll have lucid dreams a lot. Um, well, let me give you an example. One of the more recent ones that happened to me, I, I dreamed that I woke up and I was laying in bed and I said, okay, I wonder what time it is. And I looked over at my clock and instead of numbers, there were just dots. <laughs> and I went, oh, I'm still asleep. All right, wake up. And so I, again, dreamed that I woke up. And I looked over at the clock, and there were just dots. I'm like, oh, come on. (laughs) And then I felt something move out of my bed and grab my leg. Like it came up from inside the bed and just gripped onto my leg really hard. And I'm going, great, because this happens in these experiences. And I'm like, all right, wake up. And so, again, I wake up. Now I'm in a completely different bedroom. I'm like, okay, this isn't even my bedroom. (laughs) And I'm struggling to get to that point of actual consciousness. Um, other times I'll, I'll, I'll be trying to wake up and I'll literally feel something grip me and pull me back down like being pulled underwater. It doesn't sound very pleasant. It, <laughs> it's, never, it's never been harmful. Yeah, it can be it can be slightly scary when it happens. Right. Um, but I'm getting to the point where I'm more curious as to what it is. And less scared by it. Right. I, that- I don't scare easy to begin with. So it's kind of, it's, I don't know if saying it scares me is really the right thing. It's frustrating. Yeah. It's more like, it's almost more like an inconvenience in a way. Like it's waking, like freaking waking wake dream. up already. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've had those. The, that's, Different levels of dream states. Yeah. Where it's almost like the Inception movie, which was, yeah. you know, <laughs> but still. You know, you do, you have these different levels and it is creepy and you wonder if it's, you know, like if there's something else involved in it, but at the same time, it's like, it's just, you know, you're sleeping and people, Mm -hmm. I, I still can't take control of those dreams. I wish I could, where people are like having the waking dream and they're like, I can do whatever I want. It's still always a weird ass dream for me. 
the uh, the other day I had a dream that I was in a haunted house, and I was with some little kid who was really sensitive and some woman who was recording it, and we were on the second floor, and the kid goes, I can't go up to the third floor. I can't do it. And I said, oh, I'll go up to the third floor. And I started walking up the stairs, and I got hit with the most awful feeling I think I've ever felt. And I stood, I literally stopped on the stairs, and I was just like, whoa. And he goes, that's why I didn't want to go up the stairs. I'm like, gotcha. And then I continued up the stairs. And so then they followed me, and we're up on the third floor. And, like, I, I go into a bedroom, and the doors slam shut. And I open the doors, and they're gone because they were on the other side. And I get this impression that this thing is telling me I can put you in another dimension. And I said, okay, all right. And I shut the door and I opened it again and they were back. I'm like, I think we need to leave before this thing gets really upset with us. Wow. But when I woke up that whole day, I was setting off electronics left and right. Really? So I don't know if it was right. because of the, the feeling I got that somehow set off the, the electrical interference or if some if I actually interacted with something that set off the electrical interference. Right, that could be a alien encounter, not an abduction, but that could be, you know, that could be something that they put in your brain, you know. Could be, could be. Yeah, I, you I never mean, know. Alien, I think, is a pretty loose term. I really well, do. I, I would say that whatever the intelligence is, it's clearly alien to us. Right. Yeah. Not necessarily extraterrestrial, but it's so different to us that it is literally alien to our understanding. Right. Could be right. government, but it's still alien to what we're used to. You know, you go to sleep, you have a dream, you expect a certain thing. <laughs> I think I've had that, too, where it's been, like, really vivid and, you know, like, you can't really place where you are or who you are or what's going on and i mean people could argue that that is a quote unquote alien encounter you know there's there's an interesting uh documentary called the nightmare oh uh, yeah seen it on netflix yeah. yep yeah uh I that's seen that. i thought that was really well done we're actually going to do a show based around that and sleep paralysis at some point um but what I found interesting is that these people were experiencing sleep paralysis, which is generally fairly easily dismissed as something just in your head. You know, uh, what happens is your, your, your consciousness wakes up, but your brain is still in a dream state. So you right. can see things that aren't there. You can't actually move because when you're asleep, your brain kind of shuts off from the, the connection to the body. So you don't flail around and run while you're sleeping generally. So, I mean, from a scientific perspective, that makes sense. But these people were having experiences like um, this guy's sleeping next to his girlfriend and she has these experiences. And after sleeping next to her, he started having these experiences. And how does that make sense? That shouldn't happen. Yeah, uh, that was strange. Right. And he were, tell, he, there, they tell him about it and he starts having the experience. Yeah. Yeah. And there were a few cases in there of things like that. Like uh, I think one of the last ones they were talking about, the guy was, was laying there and he felt, had the sort of nightmare hag uh, experience was saying was sitting on his chest and he couldn't breathe and the girl next to him woke up and looked over and saw a black cat with red eyes laying on his yeah, chest yeah that was crazy so uh, it, 
I don't think it's so simple as just the brain not waking up completely. There may be, in, at least in some cases, something else going on. Right. And I, and I think what's happening is, is that is another form of altered state. It's, yes. It's putting you into that altered state, whether it's sleep paralysis or you're doing hallucinogens or you're doing meditation, whatever it is, you're going into that altered state. And the big question becomes, are these things you're dealing with in the altered state entirely within you? Or are you connecting to something else that is just taking that mask? Right. right. That's, that's how brain, my... Our brains can do amazing things, like things we didn't even know that they could do. Tap into, <clears throat> like, subconscious weird stuff. And, and that tells my question is, is, you know, is this a manifestation of our doing? You know, is it our, our energy and intention that's creating it? Or is there actually an external force? Right. Yeah. Um, and when you have something like the woman waking up next to the guy and seeing the black cat at the same time he's having the nightmare hag experience, you would lean toward, okay, maybe there was actually something there affecting him. Um, but you could also say that maybe he was psychically affecting her. Yeah, right. That's yeah. another possibility, right. too. Let's talk about something really juicy here. Okay. Uh, this will lead into our me- metal discussion with Link. <laughs> but, uh, let's talk about Satanism. Okay. Something we haven't covered too much on this show, much to Luke's chagrin. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, 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 I will say I love what the uh, Satanic Temple has been doing over the last year. <laughs> uh, all the trouble has been caused in, in uh, society. Yeah, well, the, the trouble uh, against the religious fu- fundamentalists. Right. You know, they, they put up the Ten Commandments on, on public property and then they say, oh. Well, if you can do that, then we can. We'd like to donate this statue of Baphomet for it as well. Well, if I'm not mistaken, that's at two locations now, right? Oklahoma City, and then there's one up north too. Yeah, I, I think, think so. they tried yeah. to put it in Oklahoma City, but the, it didn't happen. No, I, so they I believe moved it's it to there. Detroit. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, they're still trying with the Oklahoma one. There was yeah, actually a Hindu are. group as well that wanted to put a, a monument there, and they they were saying, "Well, you can't do that." And it's like, "Well, then you can't have the Ten Commandments there." And yep. I think someone actually vandalized the Ten Commandments and the uh, Satanic Temple came out and said, that's not okay. They have every right to put their stuff there as long as we can put our stuff there too. Right. Uh, it's more like or they're they, just trying to make a point. Yes. You know? And they're doing it in such a great way because no, you know, the, the average perception of the Satanic Temple is, oh my God, they're evil. And their point is so not that. You know, they, yeah. they made a coloring book for this Florida school because they were <laughs> distributing religious uh, pamphlets there. And they said, well, we have a religious pamphlet. And they, they put this coloring book out that's all about <laughs> tolerance and accepting people for who they are. Yeah. But it had yeah. all these satanic overtones and the people just flipped out. And they're like, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, no, of course. No, no religious pamphlets at all, you know. <laughs> Well, you know, you have the Levian uh, Satanists that are more kind of like, it's kind of like religious atheism in a way. It's like yes. atheism with just a little bit of a, a, a of ritual and ceremony and, and well, quite a lot of sarcasm. Yeah, That's us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you figure that, that LaVey wrote, created the Church of Satan. He was a cop in uh, San Francisco. Yeah. And he would go out and, and see all these horrible crimes and these, these just terrible things happening to people. And those same people committing those crimes would go to church on Sunday. And he's like, what, what kind of hypocrisy is this? You can do whatever you want during the week as long as you go to church on Sunday. And right. that kind of 
spawned him writing, you know, the Satanic Bible, which is not a Bible about doing evil to people. It, it's very much like a very humanist, atheist type of, of way of being, of respecting other people and taking responsibility for your own actions. Uh, like his argument would be, okay, it's totally okay to kill someone, but if you kill someone, there's going to be consequences, and you must stand up and accept those consequences. So if you go out and murder someone, you're probably either going to get killed yourself or end up in jail, and you can't shirk that off. You have to stand up and say what you did. Be responsible for your actions. Right. And yeah. if most people were to say, well, I want to kill that person, but I don't want to go to jail, so I probably shouldn't kill that person. You know, It's like Crowley once said uh, – you know, someone asked him, well, what if someone wants to learn magic to, you know, learn death, how to kill someone with magic? And he said, well, by the time they get to the point where they could do that, they would know it was wrong to do. Hmm. Do you think that there are Satanists out there that, that like, are real Satanists? Like uh, devil worshipers? Yeah, that worship, really worship Satan, and they do, like, animal and human sacrifice. Do you think that actually exists? <sighs> you know, I'm on the fence about it. Um I've never seen any concrete evidence it exists. I wouldn't yeah. at all be shocked to find out it exists. Right. I don't think um, there's an organized group of huh? people like that. But I, I'm sure that individuals spot off here and there. And Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah defi- definitely as individuals. As big organized groups, though, it's hard to say. I mean, you hear sometimes about, like, some of these haunted woods locations. I was just talking to Steph Young about this. And, you know, people will see... Uh, I think one of the cases she she talked about, there was uh, these people walked into the woods and they found this whole area covered in blood and they freaked out and they ran out of there and they got in their car. When they looked back, they saw a bunch of people standing there in robes, you know, and, and their assumption is, oh, my God, we were just in the midst of a satanic cult. Yeah, I think Steve Stockton has a similar yeah. story in his yeah. book. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so maybe, maybe that was the case. Maybe these people really were devil worshippers and doing something really nasty in the woods or maybe – you're dealing with a phenomena that's giving you what you expect. Hmm. So you're turning and seeing these people in robes, but they're no more real than if you turned and saw a bunch of elves standing there. You know, you're seeing an energy and you're projecting onto it what you think is there. Kind of going back to the earlier part of the discussion there. You right. Know, like that you're just seeing like kind of, for lack of a better term, phantom Satanists in a way. Sure. You know, sure. like the, there was the whole satanic panic thing in the 80s. Yeah. You know, and, and so much of that, like the uh, McMartin preschool case, uh, you know, later on in the Memphis 90s with 30. West Memphis 3. I mm-hmm. mean, yep. so mm-hmm. much of that really was just such a there, – there's so many miscarriages of justice and people going to jail and lives ruined over this over this whole thing. <clears throat> yeah. It makes you wonder just is – what's the boundary between just mass hysteria, which that was, and whether there's anything real – anything substantial to this stuff i i can't think of any like and i could totally be wrong here but i can't remember any cases of like huge satanic cults being busted for crimes yeah like we said individuals yes you'll get the the serial killer or whatever who was praising satan and, yeah, and Richard doing Ramirez, all these rituals. Yeah. right but i can't think of any times where a group you know was uncovered and thrown in jail because they were sacrificing people or children or whatever Um, However, if these groups exist, they may be people who are in the upper echelon who can cover up their tracks fairly easily and aren't going to be bothered by the law enforcement. 
We know that pedophile rings exist on yeah. uh, like the, the upper echelon of society. We know that that has happened. Uh, exactly. Like the, uh, was it the Lincoln, Nebraska, all, all that thing in the eighties that the discovery channel did a documentary about that was banned, but you can see it on the, on the internet and all this kind of stuff in the Dutro affair in, in Belgium we know all that exists and there's, there's documented cases of that kind of thing going on. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, I'm sure it's pretty much pro. I mean, the little bits you see come out of places like Washington, DC. Yeah. I'm guessing are the very tip of the iceberg, the stuff that actually makes it into the press. Right. So I have to wonder just like in the satanic panic, because people that were being accused of that were just, you know, kids that listen to too many metal albums or yeah. just, it was just mass hysteria. They're just, just normal people. So like you said, if it exists, it probably exists on the higher, on the higher levels, like kind of like eyes wide shut kind of stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, they're going to be untouchable, which is why we've never seen a satanic cult get busted. Right. Cause it goes, it might go far up. Yeah. Well, to kind of do a little segue here from uh, Satan into metal, in the metal. We got, as I mentioned uh, before, we got our resident metalhead, Luke. Here. <laughs> and, Luke uh, he's really chomping at the bit to talk to you about some metal <laughs> Since there. 14 years old. <laughs> so, some metal there, Soraya. So you guys take it away. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I guess first of all, the first question would be uh, what what subgenre do you focus on? Or, you know, what's what's your favorite subgenre? Uh, I don't know that I have one, honestly. I like a little bit of everything. Um, I've been doing a... Uh, metal radio show since 1994 called The Last Exit for the Lost. Oh, wow. And when I took it over, it was called The Metal Cage. And I said, because it actually dates back to 1985 on the radio station I'm on. And uh, so I took it over in 94, and I I said, I don't want it to be called The Metal Cage. A, I don't really like the name. uh, But I wanted to have more freedom in what I was playing so it didn't have to strictly be metal. Uh, I wanted to be able to play stuff like Leibach, which is not metal, but it fits in that type of genre well enough because it's big, it's dark, it's militaristic. Um, so I changed the name and then got, you know, and I play everything from, say, Fields of the Nephilim, which uh, gives the show its name, which is like gothic rock, yeah. all the way down to death metal and uh, borderline like ambient noise type stuff. Right on. Cool. I do tend to be, I find I tend to be fond of female vocalists. Okay. Although some of my favorite vocalists are not women. So, but if like I see a band and it's like, oh, female vocalist, I'll check that out. Yeah, it's uh, it's always interesting because you don't see that very often. It, it seems uh, at uh, post 2000, there's a lot more female vo- like female screaming vocalists now. Sure, sure. I, I like I like girls who can actually sing though. Yeah, so well for me, sing and scream. <laughs> you know, that's kind Fair of my enough. that's kind of my prerequisite. But rock, like, I, like ahead. I love Annika from the who was in the Gathering originally. Now she has another project called The Gentle Storm. I think her her voice is amazing. Um, but at the same time, I like Karen Crisis a lot, and she's not much of a singer as much as a vocalizer. <laughs> yeah, I could I could see obviously that you're on a whole different level, being a, a you know. DJ all those times for lack of a better term, I guess he would say DJ, right? Oh yeah, yeah. totally DJ. Okay. Uh, but yeah, Rob is also a metalhead. <laughs> well, I've, I've, I've delved a bit. 
<laughs> I don't know that I would say metalhead. Like I'm, I'm old school, like early '90s, kind of hardcore. See, I don't, I don't even consider that old school. Old school is like early well, '80s, the '70s. <laughs> Can, I'm used to hanging out with a younger, like <laughs> I don't think got a lot of twenty-something-year-olds. So, it's like, fair enough. But a lot of the old stuff is coming back too. I mean, the, the the sound Black Sabbath pioneered is now really popular again, Wait, which is great. Yeah. Tons of thrash bands are coming up now that are actually good. You know, I mean, for a while thrash was shunned because you know it wasn't cool anymore. Right. Uh, what What are some of the thrash bands that have caught your attention? Uh. Newer, newer, old ones coming back. Uh, uh, new ones. Um, yeah. See, you, you ask me, and I draw a blank. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's one out of Ohio that I really liked, and I'm completely it starts with a V, and I cannot remember the name of the band. Yeah. Although I, I do think they're on a hiatus at the moment. Unfortunately, I'm trying to pull up my music list here. Um, I totally feel you there. There's there's too many floating around in there to just recall at any moment. Well, here's the problem, too. I mean, doing radio is is a lot of fun. And back when I started, you'd get maybe 10 releases a week. So you had time to sit down, listen to them, and you'd be like, oh, oh, this is cool. You know, all right, I'll play something else. I like this song. I'll play that. Now with digital, we could get 50 releases in one week. Right. Sometimes more. And it's like, I don't have time to play all of this, much less listen to all of this with any kind of like um, really be able to sit down and, and, and enjoy let it. it. Um, or take it in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so the digital thing is both great because you can get these small independent bands that can make good sounding recordings and get them out to you. But there's so much stuff out there now. Yeah. It, and a it, lot of it's good. Right. Even as just a fan, uh, you know, you get so many suggestions from friends and so many uh, tags on Facebook and stuff like that that you, you, you can't possibly check them all out. No, no. Um, Thrash Bombs was one I really liked this year. Uh, they're from Italy. Thrash Bobs. Thrash Bombs with a Z at oh, the end. Okay. <laughs> um,. I just saw another one and I ran over it. Um, Vindicator. That's the one I was trying to remember from Ohio. Right on. They, I, they, they, they were really good. I'm, I'm putting them in my, my list right now. What about what about Grindcore? I don't get into too much Grindcore. <laughs> I didn't see that coming at all. I, I don't even know what the subgenres are. Like, that's how out of it I am. You could probably list them off. <laughs> well, I could begin to, I guess. There, there, there's a million subgenres. Oh, I know. Though, but I just played something last night that was that called itself um, spaghetti western metal, <laughs> and I'm listening to it and I'm going, "Oh my god, it is!" Because <laughs> it had, you know, the metallic sound in the foreground, and in the back you had this sort of spaghetti western thing going on. I'm like, "This is incredible." Like Ennio Morricone, you know? Stuff. Yeah. And I'm just like, I think I love this. I'm going to have to listen to the whole album. <laughs> didn't you just do on Last Exit, didn't you just do like the, like one song for every 50 years of metal? Yes. Yeah. And initially said 40 years because I wasn't actually checking my math. So what, so what did you start with? Like what was like the, I guess 1966 would have been? Well, we started with the modern day and went back to 66. And 
With 66, it was uh, the God, it was one of Lemmy's first bands. It wasn't even really a, a metal band. Let me see here. Yeah. The Rockin' Vickers. And it was Lemmy's first band. So although it's not metal, I figured it counts because it has, you know. Lemmy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, is it any good? I mean. Oh, uh, no, not really. <laughs> I mean, it's good for what it is, but it's like, you know, 60s uh, right. light rock kind of thing. Very simplistic. Yeah. Um, and then we did like Velvet Underground, Crazy World of Arthur Brown, Sand Gospel, Trapeze, and then up to Alice Cooper and Hawkwind and stuff like that. Really, you had Velvet Underground in there for metal. That's interesting. Well, they had an influence on metal. Yeah. What song did you play for that? Uh, Venus and Furs. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. You know, it's not metal, but it at that point it was kind of like, okay, where were the, the influences to metal coming from? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, your, your good friend Peter Robbins... Like that guy has seen all the greatest bands ever. In oh my yeah. Opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he has. One of the things that didn't go on the show, we were talking to him and uh, he just got kind of mentions. Like I asked him about if he'd ever met Lou Reed or seen Lou Reed live. And he says, yeah, I saw them. I saw them play at Max's Kansas city in like 1967. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like for yep. real? uh well not not to put you on the spot again but uh do you have any death metal bands that have got your attention lately um hmm probably (laughs) (laughs) um i I would i would say one that's not really quite a death metal band that doesn't exist anymore but they were phenomenal is a band called anna keffer out of uh la anna keffer a-n-a-k-e-f-r and uh it means I am infidel. Hmm. <laughs> and the guy who was the front person for the band had gone over to Egypt for uh, to take film classes. I don't, I don't know why Egypt to take film classes, but that's where he went. Yeah. And he said, you know, he had gone over not really, I guess he, he was sort of an agnostic. And he went over there and he saw all this, this, this fighting between the different religious groups. And he said it just it completely changed his worldview and turned him into a complete atheist because he was like, you know, if there's anything to these religions, it's not here. And hmm. so that when he came back, they, one of the songs they had, uh, it starts screaming Anna Keffer, and they're like, ooh, that's our band name. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. But they're, they're a little bit thrash, a little bit death metal, and they were just phenomenal. Hmm? Is there anything you wanted to ask? Else you wanted to ask? Well, I mean, he, he gave us a nice uh, little list of name drops there to, to <laughs> check out. I would also say check out Birth AD. Okay. See, I finally got somebody that's a metalhead on the show, Luke. Thank there you, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, real quick, Sarai, yeah. before we go, uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, too, was uh, David Politis' work. Mm-hmm. And we could really do a whole show on that, but easily that is that is some crazy, crazy stuff. And I don't mean in the fact that it's insane, but just like uh, it, the the deeper you go on that, the more baffling it is. And that yeah. that last book that he put out, and I haven't read it. I did hear your interview with him and an interview he did on Coast to Coast, but that is some scary stuff. Yes, yeah, because I mean, you can the stuff in the woods you can at least sort of maybe say, well, maybe there's something else going on. Maybe it's animals. I mean, it's not. 
but your your brain can at least kind of go in that direction a little bit. But when you get to these cases in the cities where these kids keep showing up in the same way, that yeah. makes no sense in places that make no sense. Um, there's something behind it. There, there, whatever it is, whether it be government, whether I mean, I can't imagine why it would be government. That's that's the thing. Any any idea you come up with doesn't make any sense. Why these people are being killed? Yeah, it really you know, doesn't. I, it, it, we talked about the Elisa Lamb case on this show, and, and mm-hmm, it it, mm-hmm. it very much fits the same pattern as yes. as those other as those other cases where somebody yeah, just disappears. They're gone. They're gone. They're there one minute, gone the next, and then they show up days later in some in water, in some weird place. It's just close to where they disappeared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the uh, the Elisa Lamb one had a had a bunch of misinformation going around because, of course, it got you know it went viral on the internet. So it was huge. Um, I'm going to be doing a show on that, trying to to actually get to the bottom of what actually happened. Um, not that it's any less weird, but just kind of throw like, you know, people said there's no way she could have gotten to the roof. Well, there's fire escapes going to the roof. Yeah. So yeah. if she really wanted to, there was a way she could have gotten to the roof. It doesn't mean she used the fire escapes, but you can't say there was no way she could get to the roof. I think what's bizarre for me is like lifting that handle to get into the, to actually get into the water tank mm-hmm. and just that's bizarre in and of itself. And then the coincidence with the movie Dark Water yeah, is strange. Yeah. And what's also strange is the whole uh, tuberculosis test there yeah. that was called uh, Lamb Eliza. Yeah. That came out a few days later in the same area. And it's like, okay, that's really weird. Like, I can't imagine how it's connected, but what are the chances of that? That's like, my, that's like Mike Clellan kind of stuff there. Yes. Synchronicity. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, Sarai, you've been an excellent guest to, uh, Thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything you guys wanted to add? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Nope. Hell, Satan. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can say, say thank that. Thank you. Like. <laughs> it's hey, been uh, fun. Yay. We're going to close this uh, segment out. Well, stay, oh, oh, go ahead. If you, if you got a second, can I, can I quickly plug my show? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Yes. All right, so you can you can find uh, where did the road go at where did the road go dot com. We have our entire archive free, so you can go back and listen to any show you want. And if you're interested in metal, check out thelastexit.org. All our a bunch of our shows are up that you can just stream at any time, including oh I haven't put that one up yet. I was going to say including the fifty years of metal that'll be up soon. Excellent, and and, and I really guys I can't uh, recommend where did the road go enough. It is it is an incredible show. Thank you. Uh, I thank really, you. I've been I'm, enjoying yours lately as well. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And we need to do this again. We really do. Absolutely. Anytime. <laughs> Maybe I could sit in on one of those uh, roundtables. Yeah. Which you've kind yeah. of inspired me to do, to start doing some of those. So I, I was hesitant to do them, and they've turned out really well, and oh, I've yeah. really enjoyed them. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We're going to close this segment out, and we'll, guys, we'll be right back on Conspiracy Normal. All right, guys, and we're back on Conspiracy Normal. Yeah, that was a great interview with Soraya Asgath. I really, really enjoyed that. What'd you think about that, Link? That was, like I said, I finally got a metalhead on the show for you. Dude is is doing work in, in the metal community, so he's all right with me. Yep. We talk about Satanism and <laughs> alien abduction and near death experience. We, we covered a good ground there. Oh yeah, he's he's another one of those guests that we could have like ten shows with and like focus on a topic. Yeah, yeah. 
And like I said before, I mean, his show is really great. Uh, I really, really enjoy it. It's like, just get a lot out of it, listening to it. And he's the, like the round table discussions that he has with some of his guests are so really some of the best stuff that, that I've really heard. And it's really just like guys talking and just having, having a conversation. I mean, he has like a structure to it, but yeah, it, it, you, they get in some, some deep areas, man. And it's, it's really incredible. Well, as I said before, we won't do too long on this, but as I said before, we did lose a very important figure, and it wasn't Grizzly Adams, although he did die, and Alan Rickman died. And the guy from the Eagles. And the guy from the Eagles died. We've had, like, everybody die. <laughs> I don't know like, his name. The last, you know, Glenn Fry. Glenn <laughs> Fry. Will Smith's dad on Fresh Prince. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, he, yep. did, uh, yeah, he died, too. Yep. Yeah. But uh, David Bowie passed away. Oh. And uh, I am a big Bowie fan. Um, Same. Yeah, you know, I remember when I was a kid, like, listening, like, first exposure to Bowie was, like, uh, Let's Dance and China Girl, those songs, back, like, back in the 80s. And then, uh, but there's a whole generation that I've noticed, and they're mostly female, which I'm glad we have Alyssa here, <laughs> that uh, that remember Bowie for something else completely different. And that would be the movie Labyrinth. Wow. <laughs> What was uh, that? How did you put it earlier? <laughs> how did you well, describe it on break? Okay, so, so there's this thing I've been seeing on Facebook called "quote unquote" sexual awakening. I didn't know what it was. I had no idea until I understood that my sexual Awakening, quote unquote, was <laughs> David Bowie. And a lot of people's sexual awakening was David Bowie. <laughs> when we were young, we're 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 kids of the eighties. There yeah. was something about David Bowie in the labyrinth. It was the pants. There well <laughs> the times. <laughs> Well, it was the bulge in the pants, but <laughs> that must be what Kira feels for Maynard. Oh, from Tool. Did you go to that? No, she got to, oh. she got to see last night. Yeah, she she had a great time. But uh, about ten years before David Bowie did Labyrinth in the mid seventies, he kind of like this was right after uh, Ziggy Stardust. And like he kind of left that character behind, and then he did Diamond Dogs, which is kind of like a transition album, and then he did like a soul album. And around that time, like seventy five, seventy six, he got really into cocaine. Like the guy was really messed up. I think he got down to like weren't they ninety all? pounds or something and he was like six <clears throat> foot two. Yeah. So like extremely emaciated. And if you look at him from that time period, I mean he just looks really gaunt. And he also had this fascination with fascism and Nazism too. And of course, you know, here he is all you know, blonde hair, blue eyed David Bowie. Of course one of the eyes he actually he was actually blonde in one eye. But uh this is from this is from Wikipedia page about him. So the extent to which drug addiction was now affecting Bowie 
was made public when Russell Hardy interviewed the singer for his London Weekend television talk show in anticipation of the album's supporting tour. Shortly before the satellite-linked interview was scheduled to commence, the death of Spanish dictator Franco was announced. Bowie was asked to relinquish the satellite booking to allow the Spanish government to put out a live news feed. This he refused to do, and his interview went ahead. In the ensuing lengthy conversation with Hardy, Bowie was incoherent and looked disconnected. His sanity, by his own admission, had later become twisted by cocaine. He overdosed several times in the year and was withering physically to an alarming degree. Bowie's positive comments about Hitler and Eric Clapton's about immigration in 1976 led to the establishment of Rock Against Racism. And apparently... This is the time that he, uh, like this time period, he was known as the, the character was the thin white Duke. So he like dressed in like suits and, you know, he left the, really left the Ziggy Stardust stuff really behind at this point and put out with like what I think is one of his best albums, which is Station to Station. When he was crazy on cocaine, it was like his time, it was like one of his best albums that he put out. Uh, Matters came to a head in London in May, this is uh, 1976 and what became known as the Victoria Station Incident. Arriving in an open-top Mercedes convertible, Bowie waved to the crowd in a gesture that some alleged was a Nazi salute, which was captured on camera and published in NME. Bowie said the photographer simply caught him in mid-wave. He later blamed his pro-fascism comments and his behavior during the period on his addictions and the character of the Thin White Duke. I was out of my mind, totally crazed. The main thing I was functioning on was mythology. That whole thing about Hitler and rightism, I discovered King Arthur. According to playwright Alan Franks, writing later in the Times, he was indeed deranged. He had some very bad experiences with hard drugs. And I've seen footage of Bowie from that time period, and there's like a part where he's he's in a, he's in a limo, and he's talking about how people were following them in the limo. Like people were, like government agents were following him. And he was just so out of his mind at that point. And, you know, of course, you know, cocaine usually makes you paranoid anyway. Right. Yeah, sounds so, like some of my friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And in the late 70s, he actually went, uh, like, 77, he went in, He went and hung out with Iggy Pop in West Berlin and uh, recorded, like, three albums, and they recorded... Uh, two of Iggy Pop's albums, which actually Bowie played on, and China Girl was on one of those albums, which he later re-released in the '80s on his album. Which I I actually like the Iggy Pop version better, but of course Bowie's playing on that, uh, hanging out with Brian Eno in Berlin, and like three of the albums that Bowie put out at that time were like so, really some of his best work too. That that he put out, he was a real like real cutting edge artist. Yeah. Like, like just you know, like I remember, like he kind of like he got real poppy in the eighties, and got like I think even for his point like really big, and then he kind of just scaled things down, and started this band called Tin Machine, with this uh, guitarist named Reeves Gabrels who actually lives here in Nashville. Yeah, I've, I've met Reeves. You've met him. Wow. Yeah, he's like a re- he's, he's a great guitarist. He's played with a lot. Of he's played with a Cure now, yeah. actually, and he um. So Bowie scaled it down and just, it was kind of like, just kind of like listen to stuff like the Pixies and that, like, so it's kind of like real kind of harder kind of rock and alternative rock. And in the nineties, he came back with like, kind of like this more industrial sound. And that's when I saw him was in 97. Like I'm afraid of Americans. That song. That's a great song. 
Yeah. It, I love that video because like Trent Reznor oh, is chasing, him, around. chasing yeah. him through the chasing him through the uh through the street and stuff. <laughs> and then he kind of scaled back again and 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 then like 2003 was like his next well not his next to the last album, but he didn't put an album out for like 10 years. Uh from 2003 to 2013. And what really amazes me is like to the very end he was like true to his art. Like he <clears throat> that video that he that they put out, like he put out his last album Black Star uh, on his birthday, which turned out to be like two or three days before he died. Right. Well, and he knew, and he spent right. his last month producing that video. Like, right. Yeah. They told him how long he had. Yeah. He that's, like that's 18 dedication. months. He was sick and nobody yeah. knew. No, nobody knew. Know. Nobody. Yeah. Nobody knew. Nobody Not knew. Except that I was the, supposed to know, but except still. his close family. And so he put out this album and apparently he was working on a Broadway musical and, and yeah, and then like that video, man, is just like when you watch it. Like I didn't watch it till after he died. Yeah, but like, right. yeah, I still I mean, haven't watched it. You, yeah, it's. I'm I mean, cry. it is. <laughs> I'm gonna cry. Uh, you you can tell like he he knew it. Oh yeah, totally. He's the, laying in a bed and he's got like this. Uh, even the lyrics and stuff are. He's got blindfold on. His head. Yeah. yeah, and then like at the very end of the video, he kind of like fades into this like cabinet like a wardrobe and mm. closes in on him yeah i mean it's just like you could tell like that was his message to everybody so rest yeah. in peace david bowie yeah. Alyssa's oh, yeah. sexual awakening next week we will be uh i'll be at the house rob's gonna be out to uh, out roading so but uh we're gonna have rocky stucci on to talk about what's going on in the world and thank you guys for joining us and we'll be back next week on
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.